Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. There we go. All right. So if you guys would go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We are continuing our series through the book of Luke. We're calling this the Unexpected King uh, because we recognize that Jesus' ministry is, well, he came as the king. But his kingship is different than what we would expect from a normal king or, or any other king. And it is different from the kings we see throughout history. It's different from any other king that we'll see in the future. His kingship is unique. He is very unexpected in many, many different ways. We've worked our way through a lot of the book of Luke. This morning, we're going to be in uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. And this is the, the, t- the title of this sermon is The Mission of the 72. But the main idea here is that the gospel is our primary mission. The gospel is our primary mission. And so we tie that into Jesus being the unexpected king because usually a king does not go out and, and have this, um, these, these missionaries go out inviting people to join his kingdom the way that Jesus is. And so that is very unexpected for him. But this is the mission of the 72. And our primary mission is the gospel. So I have this text broken down into three divisions. Uh, verses 1 through 12 is instructions for the mission. 13 to 16 is, side note, a warning, and then 17 to 20 is rejoice in the gospel. So I'm going to pray, and we'll go ahead and get into this text. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word this morning, I pray, God, that you will show us how we are not like you. Mold us to be more like you, God. Help us to reflect your glory back to you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So what you'll probably notice in this passage is there are a lot of similarities with um, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. So just the beginning of, of that last chapter. I'm going to go ahead and get started here in verse uh, one, uh, 1 and 2. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place he himself was about to go. He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So the first thing here is that it says the Lord appointed 72 others. Now the first difference between this text and the one at the beginning of chapter 9 is the number of people that are being sent out. Last time, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles. Uh, Now they definitely were Jesus' closest disciples, but as we read through the New Testament, you'll recognize that the 12 apostles are not Jesus' only disciples. There are many other disciples. And so here we see a group that Luke describes as 72 others. And so, since he uses this word others, we would assume that this 72 is in addition to the 12. Is Jesus sending out the 12 this time? We don't know that. He might be sending out the 12, but we do know for sure that he is sending out 72 others. And it says that he sent them ahead of, uh, he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. See, in last week's message, we learned that Jesus had determined to go to Jerusalem. Because he knew that the time for his crucifixion was approaching. So he was heading to Jerusalem to accomplish his mission. The text, uh, sorry, that text is at the beginning of Jesus' journey toward Jerusalem. And that, that makes up the, most of the middle section of the book of Luke. Apparently, Jesus already had planned out his route that he was going to go on. Uh, and the, the, every city that he was going to stop on his way there. So Jesus sends these 72 out in pairs ahead of him. 
to go to these towns and villages to prepare them for Jesus' arrival. He sends them out as his heralds. Remember, a herald was somebody in, in ancient times. The herald would go to a town before the king got there to announce that the king is coming. If the king is planning on going to a town, the herald would go and say, Hey, y'all, get ready. The king's coming. That was the herald's job. And so Jesus is sending out these 72 as heralds to prepare these towns for Jesus' arrival. But Jesus' next words suggest that some of these people were already prepared for Jesus' arrival, at least somewhat or spiritually prepared. He says, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Jesus tells his disciples that, that many people in the towns are already ready for Jesus. They're ready for the Messiah. They're ready to hear the news that they are bringing. These, just, these disciples just need to pray that God will send out the harvesters. This message still applies for us today. It may not seem like the harvest is abundant, but there are still millions of people all around the world who have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. So the harvest is abundant all around the world. This is why we support um, IMB, right, the International Mission Board, why we support missionaries going all over the world to spread the gospel. This is why we support Keith and Talia Comer, uh, why we, we uh, support them so that they can train churches in sharing the gospel in places all around the world. But if you're thinking, if you're sitting there thinking, whew, thank goodness, we pay other missionaries to do this job. Whew, God's not sending me. Well, I mean, he might be. He might be calling you to go somewhere around the world, to go to some foreign land to spread the gospel. He might not be. But even if he's not, let me tell you this. The harvest here in Hope Mills is abundant. In the 2020 census, we had almost 18,000 people in Hope Mills. So they've estimated now by 2022 that we have over 18,000 people in Hope Mills. And let me see, if, let me make sure I get my statistics right. Um, less than half of Hope Mills self-identifies as religious. And that religious encompasses any religion. It could be Christianity. It could be Muslim. It could be Buddhism. It could be Judaism. Less than half of Hope Mills self-identifies as religious. That means that there are literally thousands of people within just a few miles of this building who don't know Jesus. The harvest is abundant. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers into the harvest. So if you're relieved that God might not be calling you to some, to some foreign land to spread the gospel, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers into the harvest. But be careful. Because he's calling you right here to Hope Mills. God is calling you to mission wherever you are. If he's not calling you to mission around the world, he's calling you to mission here. And if he's not calling you to mission here, then he's calling you to mission somewhere else. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and not be called to mission. The gospel is our primary mission. As Jesus' disciples, that's what we are to do. We are to spread the gospel. God didn't save us so we could sit in a pew on Sunday morning or sit in a chair on Sunday morning and just listen to some guy who might be almost a little bit of a good preacher. That might be a little bit too generous for me. But just sit here and listen to some guy talk for 30 minutes about the Bible. 
That's not why he saved us. Yes, God does want us to attend church. God does want us to gather together as believers. The preaching of the word is extremely important for the body of the church. But that's not why God saved us. God saved us to send us on mission to spread the, king, to spread the news of the kingdom of God. The gospel is our mission. Then Jesus goes on to give some more specific instructions for the disciples here in this, uh, this passage, or for these heralds. But since this is so similar to, verses nine, or to chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, I'm just going to do a quick rundown on Jesus' instructions to these disciples. He says, um, he says, Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Right? Jesus' disciples are to be known uh, for peace in a world full of brokenness and sinfulness. He says, don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Right? The message of the gospel is so urgent that Jesus' disciples don't have time to prepare for their trip. Instead, Jesus' disciples are to depend on him to provide for them. Then he says, don't greet anyone along the road. And I'll be honest with you. When I first read this, I was like, what? Why are you not supposed to greet anyone? We're supposed to be spreading the gospel. Why are we not supposed to greet anyone? That kind of seems like they go hand in hand here. If you're not greeting anyone, how are you spreading the gospel? But what Jesus is saying is that when you're out, when you're out on mission, which we should always be out on mission, when we're out on mission, we shouldn't get distracted in having conversations with old friends, just these wasting time type of conversations. But the, ur- the, the gospel is so urgent that we need to be about that mission all the time. As they're traveling, they might come across people they know, but their mission is so urgent that they should not get distracted in conversation. The point is to stay focused on the mission at hand. Then Jesus says, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer. For the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. So the disciples are not to bounce from house to house while they're on mission, but stay where God has put them. The missionary's payment is the room and board. And if they reject the food and lodging, then they reject the payment for their work. And once the disciple makes a name for himself in that community, others might come along and and offer better room and board. But they're to remain in that same house the whole time, honoring the family that first brought them in. Then Jesus says, Uh, When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. That kind of goes along with what we were just saying. Then Jesus says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. The mission is not just one of proclamation. The mission is not just that of spreading the gospel, but one of healing as well. And these disciples are given power and authority from Jesus over the sick, or to heal the sick. But this power and authority to heal is not the primary mission. The power and authority to heal is verification of the message. The power and authority that these disciples are given to heal the sick is not there so that they can just go out and heal the sick, but they heal the sick to give validity to the message that they're preaching. The primary goal, the primary mission is the gospel, not healing. Then Jesus says, when you enter any any town and they don't welcome you, Go out into the streets and say, We are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than it was for that town, or than than for that town. Unfortunately, Jesus is telling them, Unfortunately, there will be towns when you go 
that they are not going to welcome you. If that happens, don't stress over it. Instead, warn them about the coming judgment against them. Jesus' arrival is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. His life is the invitation into that kingdom. But those who reject Jesus will be rejected from the kingdom of God. The disciples are to warn these towns that if they reject Jesus, then God's judgment will be coming for them. Jesus then tells his disciples that these towns will face tougher judgment than Sodom when judgment day comes. And in case you don't remember, in the Old Testament, Sodom was judged and they were destroyed by sulfur and fire. But Sodom never had the opportunity to hear the gospel that these towns do. Therefore, the judgment that these towns face will be more severe. And then it's on this point that it, it almost seems like Jesus gets a little bit distracted or sidetracked. And if you're not paying attention, this can almost seem like a totally different conversation that, that Luke kind of gets, that just throws in here randomly. But it's not. This, this flows. If you keep it all together, it flows. Jesus is having a, a, a hypothetical conversation with a couple of Jewish towns. Uh, and he's proving the point that he was just saying. All right? So starting in verse 13, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. See, Chorazin and Bethsaida are near Capernaum. These three towns had a, a front seat view of Jesus' early ministry. Up through chapter 9, most of Jesus' early ministry, most of these miracles and teachings that we hear about, most of that happened in and around Capernaum. So the people in this region got to see Jesus. They were able to see Jesus healing. They were able to hear his teaching and see the authority that he had. But when they reject him, that rejection comes with the knowledge of Jesus. They rejected the salvation that Jesus brought. Therefore, it's going to be worse than Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon are cities on the Mediterranean coast, northwest of Galilee. They, they would not have had that, that front row seat to Jesus. They wouldn't have had the opportunity to see and hear Jesus. Though the residents of Tyre and Sidon do not receive salvation, the fact that they did not have the same opportunity for salvation means that their judgment will be less harsh. Now, there's a, a tough truth in that, and that is the fact that Tyre and Sidon are still not saved. They will still face judgment, right? Those who do see Jesus have the opportunity to hear his teaching and the opportunity to see his miracles, and they still reject him. That judgment's going to be more severe. But we know we have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God, and we have all rejected God. Because of this, none of us deserve heaven. Instead, we all deserve hell. Those who never hear the gospel, therefore never come to faith in Jesus, will fairly get what they deserve, unfortunately. We're sad about that. That's why we send missionaries around the world to places that have never heard the gospel. Because we know that without the gospel, these places are condemned to hell. The people who live in these places are condemned. That's why we send missionaries. This is fair because they have rejected God. 
Faith in Jesus is the only path to salvation and the only means of forgiveness from him. But those who do hear the gospel and still reject him will receive worse judgment. And then with this hypothetical conversation over, Jesus turns back to the 72 and tells them, whoever listens to me or whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me and whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. See, the message that they're bringing, if this message is not received, they should simply move on. In rejecting the disciple, that person is rejecting God. If someone fails to listen to the disciple, then they are rejecting the gospel. And since the gospel is our only means of reconciliation with God, then rejecting the gospel means they are rejecting God. This is not something we take lightly, but we cannot force someone else to believe the gospel. These are the last words that Jesus gives his disciples before sending them out. Then in the next verse, the disciples have already gone out and come back. So there's an undisclosed amount of time here between verse 16 and 17. Because it's in 17 it says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your names. So we don't know exactly how long happened between 16 and 17, but the disciples go out, the 72 go out, they do this mission for God, and then they come back and they're reporting back to Jesus. The disciples were obedient to Jesus' instructions, and they found success in their mission. Now, I think it's safe to assume that some of them found some resistance along the way because Jesus did warn them about that, but overall, there was success. The disciples were amazed at the power that Jesus had given them over demons. We have to be careful, though, on how we define success. Right? When, sorry, when Jesus' disciples are obedient to him, they will be successful. But we have to be careful how we define success. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel, where obedience to God means that you're going to be rich and wealthy. I'm not saying that every person that we go out and share the gospel with is going to come to faith in Jesus. What I am saying is that when we are obedient to him, his will will reign in our life. When we are obedient to him, he will be glorified in our lives. Success is salvation. Success is peace with God and continual surrender to him. Success is sanctification, growing more like God. When we are obedient to him, we will find success. These disciples, they kind of get a little distracted. I don't know. It seems like on mission they didn't get distracted, but when they came back, they were, they were focusing on the wrong thing, right? The disciples' main mission was to go out preaching the gospel. The kingdom of God has come near because God's Messiah has come. Salvation can be found in him. They were also to heal the sick. They were to cast out demons. But those signs, those miracles were to val- uh, validate their message of the gospel. If they get overly distracted with those signs and miracles, they might become prideful. They, they might lose focus of their main objective. And Jesus warns them about this danger. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over the power of the enemy. Nothing, will, uh, nothing at all will, har- will harm you. Jesus says that he's given the disciples this authority over the enemy. But that authority... He points, uh, sorry, Jesus uh, comes after, sorry, mm -mm. that authority comes after a reference to Satan's fall, right? So Satan fell because of pride. He was an angel who thought that he could become like God. Therefore, he was cast out of heaven. His pride caused him to reject God's glory, and it broke his relationship with his creator. 
Jesus tells his disciples that they were given authority over this enemy because of his pride, but they should be careful not to fall into that same temptation. Don't flaunt this authority or become overly focused on it. Instead, Jesus gives them something else to focus on. He says, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our joy comes from Jesus's salvation. Our joy is in the gospel. Without salvation, we are in about the same place as Satan. We reject God when we sin. Therefore, we have rejected heaven and the blessings of God. We reject eternal life with him. Because of our sin, not only have we rejected God, but we deserve eternal punishment. There is no way that we can make up for that. There's no way that we can buy our way out of it or work our way to fix it. But Jesus came to take our punishment. He was sacrificed on the cross in our place. Jesus, God in the flesh, suffered and died so that we could be forgiven. Then he was resurrected on the third day, proving his deity and proclaiming victory over sin and death. When we place our faith in him, our sins are forgiven because he paid their price with his life. He gives us his righteousness and we are adopted back into God's family. He saved us because his love for us. We have no power over salvation. We have no power over salvation. That power is from Jesus. So we rejoice in the gospel. We rejoice that he came to save us. Instead of rejoicing in any power or authority that, that Jesus gives us to complete his mission, we rejoice in our salvation. We rejoice in his goodness. We rejoice in his grace. We rejoice in his mercy. We rejoice because of the gospel. All right, so our application for this text. Our application always comes from our definition of a disciple and our three indicators of a disciple, the knowing, being, and doing. So our first application is to know that the gospel is our primary mission. In this story, Jesus' disciples are given a task. They are to go into the towns before Jesus and proclaim that he is coming. They are his heralds. He gives them power to heal sickness and power to cast out demons, but these are merely tools that the disciples are to use to achieve their mission. Today, Jesus' disciples, we, we have that same mission. We all have different talents and different abilities, but these are to be used for our mission. We all have different jobs, different tasks, but these are to be used for our mission. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he clarified that job for us in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the name of the Holy Spirit, or sorry, in the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is our primary mission. Everything else we do is to support that mission. So our B application is to be focused on our mission. Jesus warns the disciples not to get distracted by their newfound authority over demons or not to get distracted in uh, conversations with old friends or not to get distracted in preparation for the mission, but to be on mission. He uses Satan as an example of how pride can be distraction, uh, a distraction or how pride can lead to uh, our curse. In our world, there are many distractions. Most of them are not inherently sinful or evil, but when they distract us from our mission, we sin through them, right? Your job, your family, money, technology, politics, Facebook, Netflix, sports, hobbies, all these things 
can be distractions. They're not inherently evil in and of themselves, but when they distract us from our mission, then we sin through them. When we are focused on our mission, these other things become tools that we can use in our mission. So we stay focused on the mission. That's the gospel. And our due application is to rejoice in your salvation. Jesus told his disciples to rejoice that their names are written in heaven. Now, before you can do this, you must first accept that salvation. If you've not yet accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are still guilty of your sins, all of your sins. You have not found God's grace and mercy, but Jesus has already paid the price for your sins, and he stands offering forgiveness to you. But like any gift, this gift must be accepted. It can be rejected or accepted. If you do not accept this gift, then you will be judged like Chorazin, you'll be judged like Bethsaida, you'll be judged like Capernaum. Jesus says even Sodom will be, well, judgment day will be less harsh for Sodom than for you because now you've heard the gospel. You have the responsibility to respond. You've heard the gospel, now you must respond. Place your faith in Jesus and be saved. Accept his forgiveness and be adopted back into God's family. Find his grace, find his mercy, find his peace. After salvation, we rejoice in that. We rejoice in, uh, we rejoice that God loved us enough to take our punishment and offer forgiveness. We rejoice that Jesus has the power to save. We do not rejoice in our own power or our own ability because outside of Jesus, my only power or ability is to sin. So we rejoice in Jesus. We rejoice in his sacrifice. We rejoice in the gospel. We rejoice in him because in only him is their salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you will help us as your disciples to focus on the mission that you've given to us. Help us to, to use any other talents or abilities that you've given us to spread the news of your kingdom. Lord, if there's anybody in here who does not know you, God, I pray that you will touch their heart, draw them close to you, and convict them of their sins, Lord, and, and show them the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.